to Acts chapter 28. The Apostle Paul, as you recall, has finally made it back to Rome. He is under guard, literally chained to a Roman soldier, but allowed some liberty. He's allowed visitors. He's allowed to communicate with his friends outside his confinement. And he has called the leaders in Rome... Jewish leaders in Rome to come and meet with him. Verse 17 of Acts 28, After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, They wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you, to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both before, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul and had made, Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Allow one brief prayer and then we will proceed. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this word. And thank you for the lessons we've studied these last couple of years. As we conclude our time in the book of Acts, speak to us. Let us be sober-minded. Let us be encouraged, but let us also understand the reality of the tests we face 
as we move forward in Christ. Let us glean wisdom and understanding and light from these words. We pray for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of Acts began with a very encouraging, very wonderful opening. You might remember it was a description, Luke's description of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He met them on the mount, and before he ascended into heaven, he promised them, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the other parts of the earth. Giving them a commission, giving them a mission to go and proclaim the gospel. Just a few days later, the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came and fell. Fell? Filled. The people who were there at Pentecost celebrating that festival. A powerful growth of the church was realized. People were excited. People were getting saved by the thousands. The church was growing exponentially. Leadership of the church was by the 12 apostles, Peter and the others. These were the elders of the church. In Acts chapter 6, as the church began to experience some growing pains, the office of deacon was established. We see the account in the following verses about Stephen, who was a deacon, but also had the heart of evangelist, of, a, of an evangelist, was a preacher. And his messages were so powerful and so passionate that they offended the Jewish leaders. And if you remember the account, they grabbed Stephen, threw him in the pit to stone him. And as he died, as he received those stones, he proclaimed that he saw the glory of God on his throne, the glory of his Lord and Savior, and asked for their forgiveness. Asked that they be forgiven. Do not hold this to their account. He died like his Lord and Savior. But there was one man standing up on the bank, holding all the coats of everybody who was throwing the stones, and his name was Saul. Saul was given the charge from the Jewish leaders in that time to put this new sect of Judaism, it was not yet called Christianity yet, put it down. Find anybody and everybody who is trying to follow this or believe this or teach this, bring them to us. We're either going to put them in jail or we're going to put them in the grave. And by Paul's own testimony later on, he said that he had people put to death because of the gospel. But we read on in Acts chapter 9 and we see the record of his conversion where the Lord Jesus Christ knocked him off his horse as he was on his way to Damascus to have someone arrested. And after Saul's conversion... His name was changed to Paul. He went on th- very quick, brief overview. He went on three missionary journeys through Asia and through Greece. 
And after the end of his third missionary journey, he had returned to Jerusalem. And he was fulfilling some vows according to the law of Moses at the temple. And there the Jewish leaders saw him, recognized him, snatched him, dragged him out of the temple, off the temple grounds and started to beat him. And the Roman soldiers intervened because it stirred up a riot. And then this began the long journey of Paul on his way to Rome. After a treacherous sea voyage, Paul finally makes it, made it to Rome, and he was kept under guard. And it tells us in Acts chapter 28, after three days, Paul gets back to work. I mean, he's already had a very full and busy ministry, a very wearying ministry. They didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have recordings back then. They didn't have automobiles back then. It's really quite amazing that many of the roads that were made by the Romans, built by the Romans, many of them still exist today. So there was travel that was eased by these, I would call them magnificent highways. Some of them still exist today. But Paul would still either have to go on horseback or on cart or on foot. And he traveled thousands of miles. I drive eight hours in a car and I'm done. calls these Jewish leaders back together and he tells them why he was there. He said, I don't know what you've heard about me. I don't know what you know of me, but I would like an opportunity to speak with you. We need to see this morning that the significance of the gospel message is that the message there, it is a message of grace and this might shock you, it is a message of grace and condemnation. Remember, Acts begins with great joy and great glory. The victory of our Lord Jesus Christ ascending into heaven and then Pentecost. Powerful days. Marvelous days. Exciting days. But then we get all the way through Acts and Paul is saying, You have eyes that will not see. You have ears that will not hear. Lord won't help you. That's essentially what he is saying. For this reason, verse 20, Paul says, I have asked to see you to speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But Paul, we don't know, we don't, we don't know anything, but we have heard of this new sect of Judaism, and everyone tells us they don't like it, but we would like you to help us understand what's going on. They gave him the opportunity to speak to them 
about Christianity. Verse 23, notice, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to meet with him, they heard his first introduction, and then they said, we'll, we'll, we'll set a time for you. We'll come back and give you some more time. Pretty good idea. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. What preacher doesn't like a large crowd? And it says here, from morning till evening, he expounded to them. Pay attention, from morning till evening, he expounded to them. From morning till evening. Hint. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul went all the way back to the New Testament, or excuse me, the Old Testament. He knew they were familiar with it. Talked to them, brought the gospel to them out of the law of Moses and the prophets. And we don't have time to go through any of it this morning but I'll almost bet you. Perhaps a Christian shouldn't say that. I shouldn't bet anybody. But perhaps he, I'd almost guarantee, he brought some lessons from Isaiah 53. It is a passage that most Orthodox Jews deliberately stay away from. They are unfamiliar with it because they are afraid of the truth that is there. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all those words were about the promised Messiah the one whom they thought would come in victory but he came in defeat and death the defeat and death was for their redemption and they refused to see it It's been said, and we were talking about this in small group the other night. I like what Brother Bruce said, that if you don't have the Old Testament and you understand the context and the language from that, then the New Testament just looks like an old black and white TV show. I remember a Bible teacher in high school taught, taught us the New Testament is in the Old Concealed, the Old Testament is in the New Revealed. 
we cannot abandon the Old Testament. It is part of God's divinely inspired word. They are complete as one. They are disjointed standing by themselves. It's tragic to read in verse 24, as Paul had revealed to them from the law and the prophets, from the words that they believed, from the words they understood. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Apparently they disagreed in Paul's presence. He had been talking to them all day long answering every question he could, bringing attention to every point of prophecy about the coming Messiah and what he would do and what he would promise and how he would fulfill it and how he did fulfill it. And some were convinced, but others disbelieved. Verse 25, disagreeing among themselves, so they're still in front of Paul or with him. They departed after Paul made one statement. He saw their disagreement. He saw some believed and some disbelieved. No, this doesn't make much sense. I don't, I, this, no. And being a pastor myself, when you have some people who are associated together, some believe your message, but others disbelieve you. You have a terror in your heart as a pastor, as a shepherd, that the unbelievers are going to lead the believers astray. And it happens very often. And I'm sure Paul was feeling that. But he was moved by the Holy Spirit to remind them of something else from the Old Testament. Something else from the prophets that they were familiar with. They departed after Paul had made one statement. He told them this and then they left. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their eyes, and with their eyes they can barely hear. Excuse me, with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should with their ears. Excuse me, I need glasses. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So here we have the ending of the book of Acts begins with great great glory, great excitement, great promise, and we see God's God at work through its record. And here it's ending on kind of a low note. A declaration of 
condemnation. Does not mean that Paul has failed, does not mean that the church has failed because the Lord Jesus himself has promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. The significance of the gospel message is that it is a message of grace, and we all understand that. We're all believers. We've received God's grace as his gift by faith, and we rejoice and are so glad. All are sinners, as we are. The wages of sin are death. We are well aware of that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have received an offer of eternal life. We've received more than that. There are many people I see listening to the radio on the way in this morning, and I get a little bit frustrated when I hear someone give a, I'm going to use the term, dumbed-down, oversimplified message of the gospel. God wants you to be in heaven with him that may be true but it is too simple there's not enough not enough truth to understand because each and every person needs to understand first they don't deserve it each and every person must understand that they're lost and they're sinners And they need forgiveness, they need cleansing, and they can't get it on their own. It must come from God. I think oversimplified, dumbed-down explanations of or offers of grace kind of hurt the gospel message. Each and every one of us are guilty of offending God's law. And in Christ Jesus, the offense of all of your sins against God and his law are washed away. That's what Christ does for you. And you are provided, along with that gift of eternal life, you are provided the perfect pure righteousness of Jesus. You are made clean in him. You are made whole in him. Your soul is healed forever. Thank you. It's a simple message. It's a gracious message. It is a very generous offer and it is forever. And I've shared this with people, and there have been many times people have said, I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm okay. Maybe later. It's a simple offer. It is a clear offer a child could understand. The offer of the grace of the gospel. But people are so proud, they refuse it and they reject it 
They don't want it. They don't believe it. Can't understand it. Even our Lord Jesus Christ himself quoted Isaiah. You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely hear. Excuse me, with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed lest they see, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would hear, heal them. This recording, almost word for word, is recorded five times in the New Testament and 11 times in the Old Testament. So there is some importance to it. Gospel message of God's grace, God's forgiveness in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah, is there. But if you don't receive it, if you don't believe it, if you don't even reach out for it, God says, I'm just going to close your eyes and your ears. You will be without hope. From the law and the prophets, we get the prophecy of the coming Redeemer and the prophecy of condemnation if he is rejected. The gospel is an offer of grace. It is also, a, should I say, threat or promise. You reject it, you're lost forever. There's no hope. I don't believe or I won't believe. I don't see much difference there. I think it was Mark Twain who said that a man who won't read does not have much uh, advantage over a man who can't read. It's the same kind of principle here. I don't believe or I won't believe. They're both lost. Romans chapter 1, since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. So we see, you refuse to believe, and God gives you over to your passions, to your lusts, to your unbelief. He just lets you have what you prefer to have. You don't want him. You get everything in this world, and it's going to burn along with your soul.
the significance of the gospel is that it is a message of grace. It is not simply about eternal life in heaven. It's more than that. You who have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's, it's more than, oh good, I believe in Jesus so I get to spend heaven in, time with him in heaven forever and ever and ever. You have no idea what that would be like. I don't either. I can imagine, but I'm not sure if my imagination is making idols or not. So I have to be very careful. And so do you. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are now the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I don't know if you've read the first chapter of Revelation where John describes his vision of the glorified Lord Jesus. Eyes of fire, legs and feet of shining brass, golden sash, brilliant, beautiful. Is that what John means when we are glorified in our resurrected bodies? Is that what we might resemble? I I don't know. I have to be careful. I don't want to make an idol. The late Francis Schaeffer once said that he had a pretty good idea, but he could not base it in Scripture. He said that If we could see Adam and Eve before they fell, we would think they were from outer space. They were so beautiful. And we were running around with one ear lower than the other and one arm shorter than the other and bald heads and frumpy looking. We think we've got it made. In the resurrection, I don't expect I will, people will be able to recognize me, but I don't expect to be in a body that's this painful. And you shouldn't either. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the significant, that's one of the significant points of the gospel message. It is more than grace. It is a promise of restoration, making all things brand new. Newer than the newborn baby. Newer than the child full of energy where you, I barely remember that, but how do these kids have all of this energy? They just won't stop. They won't sit still. Newer than that. And we have been called as Christians, as a church, 
to understand these things. First Peter 2, laying aside all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you? Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the significance of the gospel message is that it is a message of grace. And if we look for it, we don't like to look for it, we don't like to see it, but if we look for it, it is there. It is also a message of judgment or condemnation that those who do not believe will never receive. It's not simply about eternal life in heaven. It is about your growth in Christ it is about your growth in faith. It is about your growth in grace. Are you growing? Are you growing? In Philippians 3, 8, the Apostle Paul said, I count everything as loss. If you ever do any word studies or learning the Greek, That word for loss is a very unique word, scubalo. Little translation, it's a compound word. Balo to throw, sku, it's poop. I consider everything as flung dung because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of knowing Christ. My Lord, for this sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through him in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It's not simply about an eternal life in heaven. It is about your growth in Christ, in knowing him, and identifying him in suffering, identifying in him with 
with him in trials and tribulations. It is about your growth in faith and trusting him throughout all of those trials and tribulations. And it's all about your growth in grace. Receiving everything from his hand with good cheer. For he has a purpose for it all. In 1 Corinthians 13, I believe the Apostle Paul was talking about death when he said, We now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. There will come a day when we see Christ, whether in the resurrection or after our death, in the veil of understanding that keeps our misunderstandings primary in our thinking will be just ripped from the curtain rod and we will see clearly and we will understand clearly and we will understand it purely Our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul told those Jewish leaders who did not believe, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. People's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. The Lord is saying, you don't believe, you won't even be permitted to turn. Proverbs 20.12 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Has he made your eyes to see and your ears to hear? Have you stopped listening? Have you stopped seeing? Have you stopped growing? Maybe you better check that. If you're not growing, then there's something you're not seeing. There is something you're not hearing because we as his children are supposed to grow. Apostle Paul had given the leaders of the Roman synagogues a warning. And the scripture says that he continued to preach and teach for two years to anybody who came to him. So Paul continued to do his work while he was at Rome. Paul continued to grow. 
as so should you, and as so should I. I have one more message. It won't be from Acts, but it will be concerning what happened to the disciples, or what happened to the apostles after the book of Acts. What happened to the apostle Paul after his time in Rome? So we'll spend some time next week looking at that, and then the following week we'll start a new study in another book. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and its power and its truth. We pray this day that you might speak to our hearts. Convict us, Lord. Use us for your glory. Spur our hearts on to grow. Place in us a hunger to learn. Place within us a need to learn that we may feed upon your word with passion, with vigor, with desire. Equip us and prepare us to use for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.